Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello, and welcome to a rather special episode of Building Sustainability. It is episode number 50. So if you are new here, and maybe you've come from Cut the Craft podcast, or if you're one of the loyal Building Sustainability listeners, welcome back. So I am just back in Exmoor, having spent two weeks in Bristol uh, doing some lime plastering on a hempcrete build, uh, working for the wonderful Hawkland. They have been doing a retrofit hempcrete. Um, so really nice to get in there, nice to catch up with Hawkland and yeah really great just to spend some time putting some plaster on the walls uh, i have returned home now and the tiny house trailer is being moved to its its new location where i'm going to build tomorrow and i spent part of the day scything the ground uh, where it's going to sit uh, i've never used a scythe before turns out i think i've got uh, some technique to learn um so that's all very exciting so yeah expect lots of insta spam of the tiny house build uh if you're interested in that head to at jeffrey the natural builder on instagram or jeffrey the natural builder on facebook and you can follow along uh so before we get into uh an intro for amy and brian just wanted to say a big thank you to our new patreon supporters uh, that is davy campbell who is getting himself a hand-carved wooden spoon uh, as soon as I get a minute to carve more spoons. I'm a little behind with that. Apologies, anyone that's waiting. You will be getting one soon, I promise. Chris Field is another Patreon subscriber this month. Uh, he sent me a message to say he especially enjoys my light-hearted interview style and all the giggling. Uh, I think this episode definitely features a lot of giggling so uh, enjoy that chris uh, and the final person to uh, sign up for patreon was florence hamer thank you flo flo was of course the guest on episode number 10 talking about her tiny house build uh, and flo actually has a whole bonus episode up on the patreon site uh, she actually signed up for the patreon just so that she could listen to that episode uh, while on a drive and because I hadn't got around to sending it to her. So thanks. Thanks, Flo. Um, so as well as Flo's bonus episode on the Patreon, you can also hear seven and a half hours of bonus content. Um, and it's going to include about 20 minutes from this conversation. And as a little incentive, there's a little nugget in there where Brian tells us exactly what he wants to do to the construction workers who are making loads of noise all day across from his house. Yeah, cue lots of, of giggling and laughing at that. You can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. The Patreon, of course, uh, just helps to support this podcast to pay for all of the hosting and of the software that needs to be done and other bits of recording equipment. So yes, your support is very much appreciated if you can afford to do so you can of course support without spending any money if you get a chance just share this episode 
spread it around. I think the Facebook algorithm has uh, has changed slightly. And now my sharing of new episodes doesn't seem to reach many people at all. So if you do get a chance, please share the episode, get it into some groups, tell your mum, tell whoever you can. uh, And that really does help uh, to get the word out. And hopefully we'll get more people building sustainability. Okay, so about this episode... Amy Umble and Brian Beadler, uh, as well as being exceptionally talented craftspeople themselves, have their own podcast called Cut the Craft. And we are releasing simultaneous episodes where I've interviewed them for Building Sustainability and they've interviewed me for Cut the Craft. And we spent probably about four hours talking over various online recording services uh, and we had a great time. Well, I had a great time anyway. Uh, I think... (laughs) I think everyone had a good time. Um, It was really cool to see how they do things. They do things a little differently in their sort of production and style. Uh, It's definitely inspired me to try a few things. I also just really love their dynamic. Amy has a really sort of thoughtful and considered approach. And Brian, a bit more sort of shooting from the hip. Uh, Brian, I hope that's not an insult. Yeah, it's a very good dynamic that works really well together um so i will chat at the end of this episode just about my interview with them and i'll share a little bit of how i felt about the whole thing uh maybe some reflections on what i said uh spoiler alert i was real nervous it turns out I much prefer asking questions than answering them. I'll also, at the end, share a delightful trailer that Brian's friend Justin Williams creates for their uh, upcoming podcasts. It's a trailer which involves him reading a poem. Yeah, it's uh, it sort of goes off on a wild tangent. It's a, a really neat feature that they do on the Cut the Car Off podcast. I think, well, it's certainly a highlight for me. So imagine having a trailer in that style about me feel pretty good okay i've waffled on and need to just press play enjoy amy and brian from cut the craft podcast yeah yeah what do you do Uh, um well, it's it's been kind of an interesting kind of it's almost like a transitional year for me because I'm I'm moving a little bit away from just being just just being a woodworker, but like <laughs> as if that's like some easy thing. Um I've just sort of recognized within myself that I'm not very motivated by the prospect of creating and selling things that are wooden Mm -hmm. um and so the podcast itself has been really helpful for me in in that just sort of like making the shift from the anxiety of like leaving that identity to some other things that i'm interested in so i think woodworking for me and crafting and doing things with my hands has become more of a uh, personal meditation, mm-hmm. uh, whereas before it was surrounded by a lot of financial pressure. And that's something I don't enjoy. 
And so I thought, well, why am I forcing myself to participate in something that is very uh, stressful and something that doesn't make me feel good? And so uh, just over this past year, it's gone from green woodworking and having to do this and having to do that. Not saying that I've ever been super productive anyway, <laughs> but like, <laughs> let's just say that because <laughs> it's not like I have, it doesn't come naturally to me, like mass production or mm. semi-mass production <laughs> even just does, doesn't come naturally to me. And um, so I've moved away from carving and green woodworking to the podcast and writing. So I'm doing more writing and I'm working on a big project. Ooh, is it a secret project? I mean, it's, I've got to yeah, ask you about it, haven't I? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, gosh, I really stepped in my own pile there. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's big for me. So I'm working on, I am working on a book but I'm not going to say too much about mm -hmm. what it's about, even though, I mean, it's about crafty things, but it's so in its infancy that I feel pretty uncomfortable <laughs> talking too much about it. Yeah, <laughs> um, so that's just taking up a huge amount of time for me. And so what I've done is uh, I'm getting a, a job at a local farm nice. for the summer. Just yeah. to like not have the pressure of finances surrounding anything that's uh, creative on a personal level. So, yeah. so it's been really good. And I totally condone, I've always condoned people taking breaks. Like, you need a, <laughs> if you need, <laughs> if you need a summer to like not have to make a spoon, then do something else, you know? Yeah. And I've done that before, but it's always been this like, huge decision that in the long run is not a huge deal. But for me, it's always like steeped in hesitancy. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't, that's kind of probably not quite the, uh, answer you were expecting. <laughs> no, it was slightly different. It's made yeah, some of the, the follow-up questions slightly uh, redundant. But <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I'm happy to talk about woodworking too, because it's something that I'm very, very passionate about and love to do. Yeah. Um, so You're just taking the, the financial sort of pressure out of it. Yeah, I am. And it, it feels really, really good. And, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't diminish, you know, the fact that I still, I'm very connected to carving and green woodworking and I'm passionate about that and I love it. And, um, it's just, I feel a little more free, yeah. um, if, when I don't have the financial pressure attached to that. Was it, was it solely financial pressure? Was there, I mean, there's something about making things and putting them out there in the world that it's sort of, you know, you're putting a little piece of yourself out there. Was, was it anything to do with that? Or was it, I think when I first started to recognize my own voice creatively, like creatively with woodworking, that was, that was a step, you know, of like, okay, this feels kind of scary. You know, the, the idea that I'm like painting weird, not weird, I, I'm painting quilt patterns on spoons and this is different and it's maybe a little more, it's not what people are used to. And I'm just sort of like stepping out 
it felt like I was sort of stepping out on my own. Mm-hmm. And so that was scary for me. But I think I've kind of learned from that, that it's, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be yourself. <laughs> um, and just sort of uh, follow your own creativity, creativity and passion. I think I'm doing that now, but in a different form, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So yeah, a little bit more in a more direct way, because writing, I mean, you can't get much more direct than that. People, <laughs> it's like, here's the thing that I think is happening right now. And people are like, yes or no, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Unless you only write in metaphors, right. then it could get less direct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like a good metaphor. <laughs> um, so of like of your your craft, you know, now it's well your your hobby now. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, what is it what is it that you enjoy? You know, what's what is it that I enjoy? <laughs> I guess, um, can I do you want me to ask a better question than that? Well, maybe make it more um <laughs> more smaller uh, a smaller question. Yeah. <laughs> so what sort of things are you making? Like vessels or you know, art or because like, I've seen I've seen spoons and I've seen right. bowls. Yes. And I've seen sort of quite decorative uh sort of bowl scoopy things. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> that's that's a descriptive term. Right? I think it's a very accurate. Bold yeah. scoopy things. I'll put that on my website for sale. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh yeah, I mean what 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 is it that, that sort of pulls you to a, a particular shape? Uh right now I'm I'm paying more attention to the wood grain. Um mm-hmm. whereas in the past, especially with spoons, I was just kind of doing radially split spoons. But this is a, it feels much slower um, for me because I, I don't really want to have to cut trees down if I don't have to, because I love trees. I remember when I was mm-hmm. a little kid, actually, my brother reminded me of this a while ago. He said, you know, my dad has a sawmill and when I was little, I would like cry, (laughs) cry and cry about the trees. And, um, and I remember being sad, but I don't remember like really, really being like crying, but my brother said, yeah, you were, you were like very visibly distraught about the trees being cut down, which is adorable. (laughs) That is very adorable. It's very adorable, but it's also, you know, I think, coming back to that for me has just been like, I just don't, I don't really want to cut something down or feel like I'm taking something away just for, for the sake of feeling like I have to make some stuff to like make some money. And it's not as if I, I don't, I don't judge anyone for that, but there's something about it that felt kind of weird for me. Mm. And so I've really taken a different approach where it's like, do I feel like I really need to cut a tree down for whatever idea I have? And then if I have an idea and I can't get it out of my head, then I go look for a tree because I live on property where I can cut down whatever I want to. 
And I go through a process of like asking the tree if it's okay if I cut it down. And that's just the truth. I mean, some of them have said no. <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> okay, like I'll move to a different one. So I'm sorry. <laughs> and it, it, it's funny once I once I started asking trees if I could cut them down, the ones that say yes have something wrong with them. So, mm-hmm. like, the last one I cut down had, like, a huge ant infestation, like, in the heartwood. It was a really, it was not going to make it, you know. So, mm-hmm. I cut it down, and I felt o- okay about it. Did, did you know, did you know about that? Or was it, you just kind mm-hmm. of somehow no. had that sort of connection to it? Well, I, I just went over to the tree and asked it if it was okay if I cut it down, and it, and what I got back was yes. And then I cut it down and there was like ants everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no wonder. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like assisted suicide. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's done with love. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jeez. You know, so. It's a bit dark. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but. I you know I I don't know what to say about that other than it's been kind of an interesting observation and practice I've been a part of and and it feels it feels good to keep doing that so that's what I'm going to keep doing mm-hmm. for right now it's like I I'll cut a tree down or something like that and um or like the 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 tree I just processed a little bit was an apple tree down in my orchard and it died. I don't know what exactly was going on with it, but it was like definitely dying in the, the um, basically been girdled by some sort of insect. Like, okay. So it wasn't going to make it at all. And I just cut it down before it really started to rot to pieces. And so I've gotten a bunch of interesting crooks and things like that, that, um, that I'm going to use, but I didn't cut it down with the intention of making like a million spoons out of it or anything. I was like, Oh, that's an interesting part. And this is interesting and I'll keep that. And I'm thinking about different ways to use those crooks with little vessels. Cause that's what I like to do. Things that mm. look like animals. <laughs> so yes, my duck. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make Brian a duck because he showed me, he made, he helped me, um, taught me how to make this really beautiful book. And so mm-hmm. I told him I would make him a duck. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. nice. It's coming. It's just, you know, everything takes me so long to do anymore. But it's still coming. I'll be around. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like that, though. Like, I've, I, know, I know certain spoon makers uh, and green woodworkers who are very much of that, that sort of, shared opinion like they won't cut a tree down so yeah they'll spend a huge amount of time looking for something that's dead standing Mm -hmm. and you know and it's a real i think respect Mm -hmm. um yeah and and uh, so you say that's something you've sort of revisited is that did you have a a time when you were you know just chopping trees down (laughs) (laughs) willy-nilly well i think I think when I really got into green woodworking, like the carving part of green woodworking, um, I was like, well, 
what's the tree that everyone seems to like? And it's a cherry tree. Everybody loves cherry the way that it looks. Mm -hmm. It's super pretty, you know, Um, which it is, of course. And it's really nice to work with. And so I was like, well, I got to go find a cherry tree. And I would just like go to the woods and find a good one that I could handle that isn't too big. And, and that was kind of it. And I would keep that tree in like four foot sections in my garage away from the grass so that it didn't get any bugs or anything and paint the ends and keep it green. But it just, I don't know the, the, that, um, need to just have a tree so that I could carve it's shifted. And I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing. I don't judge myself for that, but I, where I am now is just, I don't really, I just don't want to do that. I just, there, there was a tree that came down, you know, in the orchard. I was like, well, that's good. I'll like carve something out of that sometime. And there's just less pressure. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to have my career be based on the store. I want it to be, I found this interesting piece of wood. I want it to make it, make it into something. I may or may not sell it because I'm making it because I love to make it. Um, and that just feels better to me. And I, I feel like there's a tendency for people when they hear something like that to become threatened as if like, if they're not doing that, then it's wrong and bad. And like, you know, I just don't believe that do everyone is just making their way through the world. And if you feel really drawn to doing it completely opposite that I am like, then, then do that. And, you know, I salute you. (laughs) Good job. You know, like, it's not as if everybody has to be doing what I'm doing in order for things to be right. You know, I think we get really stuck on that. And that's something I see a lot in, I think, the carving world, probably just because that's what I pay attention to. But um, I just, there's room for differences. And that is okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's uh, a phrase that I will often use on on site is that there's no right and wrongs, only consequences. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I love that. That's really good. (laughs) It's sort of a smarmy saying that (laughs) I think people (laughs) roll their eyes at. But I think, yeah, I I say it because I believe it. And here, you just have to look at those consequences and be okay with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Oh, well, I, it seems like uh, I've caught you at a, a really interesting point. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of, I feel like I've been very secretive in the past year or two, just like sort of going inward and doing a lot of thinking and like feeling my way through what's going on internally. And um, maybe now's the time to sort of step out a little bit. We'll see. <laughs> Nice. It is springtime. Right. right. <laughs> and I have to say your your writing, so the, the piece you did for, for Morrison Tenon. Brian, I believe you're a fan of this. Um you can't see, but I have this huge <laughs> smile that I'm concealing behind my screen. Uh because I always try to talk about this article and then Amy gets um you know understandably bashful. And so uh 
I'm trying not to embarrass her right now, so I'm just going to keep my face hidden behind here. But yes, I'm very excited to hear more about this because I love yeah. this article. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't really know how to transition this. Maybe maybe we can talk to Brian now, and then we're going to go to to your, your sort of your coming together jewel questions. Okay, that's a weird way of describing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of editing with my own voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Tons. We do. Great. We sound, We only sound smart because of the editing. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, true. Yeah. So, Brian, then, what, what's your craft, Lizette, that you, you bring to this dynamic duo? So, um, I come from a financial background. I was a banker on Wall No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I was like, what? I'm really inspired by the robber barons of the 19th century. Um, <laughs> no. So... Um, I I operate within the very broad category of like I guess mm-hmm. book work uh you could call it. Most people I think on the outside uh you know if you don't have any experience in the that world at all would kind of be like oh yeah book binding like you make books, you fix books, you do whatever. But then within the world of of book binding or bookmaking or Ooh, bookmaking would be more in the financial district, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but uh, in like book work, I guess um, you would have kind of three general categories of conservation, uh, book binding, and then um, like book art. And so, I mean, sort of loosely as I best understand them, because everyone likes to. We're also really like persnickety about a lot of stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, I try not to be, but you know. There's only so much you can do. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, so book conservation would be very broadly dealing with like repairs and um, more in terms of like institutional conservation, like at the British Library, the Library of Congress or something that's dealing with like the book as like an artifact. And so you're doing whatever you can to preserve the history of that object rather mm-hmm. than just fixing a broken mechanical th- thing. And, um, and so uh, then bookbinding would just be like making a book, like a new book using ma- whatever materials. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's overlap between the two. Like if you're rebinding something, you know, skills from both of those categories are going to be at play. Um, and then sort of loosely defined book art, the third category is, uh, would be sort of like treating the book as your canvas for artistic expression, uh, I suppose. So, um, I personally, in terms of the book work that I do, I operate in book binding, so I don't really do any repair work. I don't really see myself as like an artist, I guess I definitely identify with like the traditional handcraft of making sort of historic, like historically inspired from European kind of 17th and 18th century binding. So it's super specific. It's just like keeps telescoping down. I love that level of nerdy. It's brilliant. (laughs) So if to kind of, you know, summarize everything, I, I make, historically inspired leather bindings that have like the gold tooling and those types of details on there. Um, 
But in fact, more recently, and you know, if I were to introduce myself to someone, I would call myself a toolmaker and a bookbinder rather than a bookbinder and a toolmaker. So okay. um, I'm kind of, as is Amy, in this sort of transitional year where I've been shifting from seeking out, you know, bookbinding as my primary means of like income um, and I guess identity to some extent um, to uh, toolmaking for bookbinders. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I cut these little decorative brass stamps that then you use to like adorn the leather covers of the books. Um, okay. So, yeah. So that's kind of loosely what I, I do. Um, I, yeah, that, uh, that's all I got. <laughs> that's, no, that's great. I, well, I found it interesting that you don't describe yourself as uh, sort of book art because I was looking at your Instagram and looking mm-hmm. at, yeah, the beautiful work that you do. And to me, that was art. That was a, you know, a thing of beauty. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I suppose it's, I, I actually, a great maybe distinction too is the books that I make, I really want to be used and to be touched. And so like within, within the world of bookbinding, you sort of have, um, you have bookbinders who will hone in on like, every detail every corner of the covers has to be this perfect right angle you know the covers are sanded so they're like this perfect little pillow where you turn the leather in over the spine of the book has to be this very specific like you know 16th of a full moon crescent shape and (laughs) and you don't know if it's a waning or a waxing moon um (laughs) But so all of those details really, like, people will hone in on. And actually, if you were to, like, show someone you're binding, the first thing another book binder is going to do is look at the corners, look at the little caps, which is what we call that little crescent shape. Look at your end bands, which are these little silky cat- caterpillars that go along the spines. like, And that's what they notice first. And that's what determines sort of, like, your how good of a job you did. And mm-hmm. Your worth as for a person? Me, <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, stop jabbing no. bookbinders. I like the jabs. <laughs> we have it coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, for me personally, I love looking, going through, you know, the college library that I went to and looking at the historic books on the stacks. I was just drawn, like I wanted to touch them. I felt this need within me to touch them. But then when I would see these really fancy leather bindings that contemporary bookbinders were making, I was like, I'm scared to touch that one. It's like too perfect. It it moves into this different category as mm-hmm. far as I was concerned. And so then I started looking more closely at like, what, what are the details? Like, what's the difference? Why am I drawn to touching? Why do I want to use that one? And why am I afraid to use that one? So I started trying to hone in on those little details and, I mean, as best I can understand it, a lot of it has to do with sort of those idiosyncrasies of seeing really skilled craftspeople working really fast. And you start to see, like, maybe they missed a little corner of a gold impression and the tools, what looked like this crazy, pristine... Sorry, I'm using so many hand gestures, I wish people could see them. Uh, But, like, what are, you know, how are these... When you look at the patterns up close, there's all these little idiosyncrasies, things are a little off square, off center, things move around a lot. There's just a lot of like kind of imbued personality, I mm. guess. Um, and to me, that takes this this edge of 
this edge off. And I think it's maybe this con- immediate connection to like another human or like yeah. to hands or something. Um, I mean, kind of like with a lot of, you know, to go talk about like spoons or carving or something, you know, it's not necessarily a huge priority for people to like, you know, take all the facets out from carving with sandpaper. In fact, many people are like, no, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But so for me with the books, it's like I don't mind having those little off angles. I think it's my goal is a charming but completely unpretentious, which is a very pretentious way of expressing it. (laughs) (laughs) Trying so hard to not be pretentious. (laughs) It's it's a quote from a from a book historian who is talking about some early American bindings. So, yeah, I just took you right in. I'm sorry. We're, we're in there. <laughs> That's good. No, I love that. And I love that, you know, you're talking about the little imperfections, which are you know, their character, their personality. Their, it's like someone playing you know, the piano or, or something. It's, mm-hmm. you know, that is what really creates that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, almost too, uh, I have some friends. I'm really excited to talk to you um, a little later. <laughs> Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I have these friends from Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm from, and they they work a lot within kind of taking um, historical inspiration, sort of like the, the building version of what I'm trying to do with books, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's really neat, because even if the lot isn't square that they're building on, you know, they'll make the building not square to fit that. And I just love the way that they really listen to that site and... And then also they work really hard to get materials that are a little bit more natural. And and actually, kind of within the book world, one of the things that I get a little, um, I guess, disheartened by is the it's really hard to, to source all of the materials kind of close by. I mean, if you want to make that kind of thing, you know, it's like you're leathers coming from England and originally it was tanned in Africa and so there's this really big kind of carbon footprint I think associated with a lot of the materials so I've really been on the hunt for sort of um, different sources for those types of things but it also I mean the book is a very I think in at least the book style that I make it's a very like human object I mean you look Mm -hmm. at it and it's completely different from the materials and the the animals and plants that it came from. And so for me, where I'm able to kind of still draw inspiration from nature is in those tool designs that we were, you know, that I'm putting on the cover. So I can go outside and have an excuse to go in the woods and look at different, um, you know, mushrooms popping up or leaves that I see or little grass heads. And it really kind of gives me a chance to interact more with, with nature uh, because then I can come home and it's like kind of a hilarious, I guess, mode of artistic expect or of uh, artistic expression because I'm just like making a little brass stamp. But for me, I'm just like <laughs> nature. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. Um, and you know, as, as part of you know this conversation, I've been thinking a lot about craft and, mm. and why it is that I. Yeah, I do a podcast about sustainability in the built environment. Why do I keep featuring craftspeople? And it's mm. I think because I see like this really strong connection with with the you know, local materials and mm. and and that sort of thing that you know is what building needs to do to to sort of uh, come back into sort of align with nature. Yeah. So I'd I'd be really interested 
to see how how you could you know if you really dug into your materials and like well i can find paper that's made from this you know within a, a sort of radius we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck we're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's definitely doable. I think the paper is a lot easier to reconcile. A lot of it has to do with the leather for me. I mean, the the chemicals used to tan are really harsh. The um, you know, like I said, it's being shipped from all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I've been really trying to find access to and it's but it's also really hard to get like you can do brain tan leather here obviously. You can do your own bark tan and stuff, but it's really hard to get something that is also fine enough to then function in a smooth way. You know, if you, <laughs> if you <laughs> talk about smoothness, it's the lawnmower side. Smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. Yeah, it's really hard, you know, to get the leather with the right qualities if you're doing it yourself because that's its own really skilled technical trade um and you know there's only so many different things i can do in a single day mm-hmm. and so it's like when you're trying to open a book that has like a half an inch thick hide of whatever it's not going to want to open smoothly so it's just really tricky but uh, I, my my partner studies um fungal ecology and so i've been getting a little into fungi myself and mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to try to source some of that mushroom leather that people have been making and kind of test it out, but that's in the very embryonic stages of development. Uh, so that's where I'm slowly headed with things. We'll see how it goes. It'll just be fun to experiment. I normally don't do stuff like that, so it'll hopefully break me out of my shell. <laughs> nice. I think I think that the fungus, it seems to be the future, mm-hmm. like our understanding of it in so yeah. many different sort of aspects. It's crazy. It'll really get in your head and it doesn't want to leave. <laughs> like as soon as you start thinking about it, you're just like, oh, I've been getting really into lichen and now I'm having a really hard time even having like a little fire in my backyard because I'll see a little lichen on a stick and I'm like, well, I don't want to burn you. <laughs> yeah, see? see what's happening? It's the same thing for me. I'm like, oh, the poor little tree. I can't. I can't. like do anything because i love it so much yeah exactly and i recently got i recently got a microscope for engraving um to really help me see my work better but Mm -hmm. i also been getting really into lichen so i'll bring a little piece in and then i'll look at it under the scope and just sit there for like 45 minutes just totally entranced and i was looking at this rock the (laughs) other day and i'm sitting there looking at it really high magnification and then I see this tiny little speck moving around and I zoom in on it and it's this tiny little mite who's just on its, it's on its own little world. And then it just had my mind reeling with just concepts of like fractal stuff and like, Oh man, I was going down a deep, deep dive. 
Um, and yep. <laughs> I don't think that's an expression, but anyway, um, yeah. So it was down the tunnel, and then I was just thinking about this mite, and it was it would be like if you were dropped in the middle of like New York City that was just completely empty. You're just this tiny little mite just walking around, just having this whole world to yourself. And like, I didn't even know that existed until I looked at it. <laughs> so now I'm like that guy everywhere I go. I'm that person who's got the loop, and I'm just always looking at every all the stop at the trees, and I'm just looking at them. So many eccentricities, uh, it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to move us on. <laughs> you have <Sorry>. to. <laughs> you got to keep the train I, moving. I understand your role now, Amy. I keep <laughs> ushering on. Oh, sure. All right. Next question. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is kind of aimed at both of you. Uh, you can kind of fight for, for who goes first. But uh, what, was your, what was your first craft love? Like a person or... A... As in, I thought I was going to phrase it as who was your first craft love? Who was your first craft love? Because it sounds like... Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean, what was the thing like that you got making that, that mm-hmm. kind of sparked that thing first? What do you got, Umble? I mean, I, I, I was carving when I was a little kid. I used to carve little Santa Clauses when I was in middle school which is like i don't know what it what that equates to in what great brain but it's it's like 12 okay um to 14 or something i don't know it's like the most awkward years of your life when you dress the worst Mm -hmm. when your feet are really big your feet are really big but you're you're still yeah you're like "Ah," like (laughs) everything's growing at weird rates (laughs) (laughs) including your brain um yeah i I used to carve i i've carved since i was little um so i think that was probably my first craft love but i also i remember doing a little bit of beadwork on like like a bead loom Mm -hmm. and i remember weaving when i was little but for some reason i like i was thinking about this the other day because i thought well why didn't why didn't I ever get more yarn and weave more? There was something about like, like, I don't know. My parents just didn't get me more fiber <laughs> <laughs> and I could, I didn't have, maybe I just didn't have the patience to like reset up the loom or something, but like for whatever reason, woodworking came really intuitively for me and there was wood everywhere. And I had a knife and I would just like, there was very little, um, overhead involved yeah so i think i think that's why it kind of stuck but i'm getting back into weaving too it's uh, interesting <laughs> i'm all over the place <laughs> all over the place telling you oh i would say for me it was definitely uh it was books it wasn't my first that wasn't my first craft experience um you know i learned to knit when i was really little and then forgot for all of my adolescent cool years and then picked it back up again. <laughs> um, but when I first, I was in high school and the idea popped in my head to do book binding and that just stuck. And, you know, even though I'm, I'm doing a lot less of it these days, I mean, still a few books a year, you know, something like that. But um, 
and teaching techniques involve, but that that's always been like my first love and like the only kind of, as I said, my only means of like artistic expression. I feel like that's like when I get to really try to express like, you know, quote unquote, like who I am visually, I would say is like, just look at one of my little book covers and that's the best I can do so far. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Have you, I was asked this question by someone else the other day and I thought it was a good one. Um, have you seen like a surge in craft at the moment? Is it growing? And if so, why do you think that is? It's a good question. <laughs> I, I think, you know, maybe as lame as it sounds, but it, it doesn't have to be lame, but I think social media plays a big role in it. Um, at least from an advertising perspective of selling a sort of lifestyle. Um, and I think people, at least in the states too, there it's it's a lot harder. I mean, I was entering into the workforce right at our 2008. Re, re, uh, that was like when I was entering the college, and the workforce was during the recession. And so, the idea of like getting a job with benefits that paid well and like you could do have a family with and stuff was sort of never really on the menu. <laughs> and so. I thought, well, if I'm going to be broke either way, I may as well be broke doing something that I really enjoy. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, Amy, what do you think? Well, I mean, the first thing that is coming to mind is just to kind of say that it's interesting that for you, doing handcrafted things was almost like a reaction to feeling like you didn't have any... <laughs> financial future (laughs) in a way i know i'm being kind of simplistic but um after i graduated from college i got a well i was an art major so you know what that means and that means you go get a job at the bank (laughs) (laughs) or for me i i just never had the uh i was never interested in getting into the art industry Hmm. so I was just like, oh, I'm going to be an art major because that's what I like to do. And then I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I don't want to move to a city. I'll just get a job somewhere, you know. And so I got a job at a credit union. Um, and I worked there for two years. And it's not, I mean, that's just not for me. Um, and so what's funny is that the financial crisis happened while I was working there. And... uh and I, that made like no impression on me. I was like, oh, that's happening. Like, I don't have any money anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like, uh, but I, I left, I left that job because it was so enticing as far as money and security goes. Like, that's the reason why I left. Cause I was like, I'm not actually happy in this situation, but if I stay here for any longer than I am now, it's going to be harder and harder and harder for me to leave. Mm. You know, it's like staying in a bad relationship or something like the longer you stay in whatever it is, no matter what, what that relationship is, let's say your relationship with your job relationship with a person, you know, whatever. Um, the longer you you stay, the harder it is to go. 
(laughs) (laughs) So I was like, well, all right, now's the time. Boop, I'm gone. I'm going to go work at a restaurant. So that's what I did. Um. So that's interesting. But I, what was the first, what was your question? Just about the, the sort of growth of, of craft in the, the recent years. What, okay. what might be the, the cause of that? I think, I think it's partially a generational thing, um, just off the top of my head, because there's a lot of people our age, you know, in their thirties, maybe, maybe younger. I don't know. I'm kind of out of touch with that crowd, but <laughs> our lives revolve around kind of like ethereal connections. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we're having this conversation and I'm not actually talking to you in, in my house. I'm talking at a screen. And so <laughs> I think even if we're not able to uh, have the vocabulary for it, we really, really crave tangible connection to people, to places, to the outside. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, craft and building stuff, whatever it is, as long as your hands are touching something, it's like that is not a keyboard or our phones. It feels different. It feels different. I can feel it. And so I'm sure lots of other people can too. And Mm. so um, I think there's something that's satisfied in handcraft, the idea of handcraft, whatever you want to say, that that is really nourishing people in a way that they're not getting through their phones and Mm -hmm. their computers. I, to kind of add to that, I really liked your use of the word connection because I think that um, I know there's like the sort of craving for an authentic connection to like real things. I mean, as you said, it's like so much is done, you know, on your computer and through apps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so you have this connection to materials, a connection to process, and then a connection to other people uh, through those things that they're leaving behind. If you have other craftspeople, I mean, like when I, and I've mentioned this on our show before, but I mean, it's like when I'm eating with the spoon that Amy made out of a, you know, a bowl that Oliver made, I think about those people and they may, it makes Mm -hmm. me smile. And, you know, I think that, um, yeah, that, that connection seems to be a really vital part of it. Um, I will say that, I mean, as much as hard as it is, you know, I don't have the numbers, I don't have the statistics, but just the general sense. And once again, as you said, maybe it's just because we're like in this world that it seems a lot bigger than maybe it is. But, you know, you if you just look at different folk schools popping up all over the place, I mean, just if you were to just use that as a metric, it's definitely a thing that's going on. <laughs> um, so it's definitely more real than just a general sense, but I don't really know to what extent it's, you know, uh, I guess once craftspeople start getting trolled more regularly by other people, then that's when we'll know it's really real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It just made me think of, uh, there was someone we saw that Amy and I saw that got trolled by someone that was like, why would anyone spend that much money on something when you could support this other business that, you know, mass produces that thing or something like that. And I just thought it was interesting that that person was like upset that much that they wanted to 
reach out and try to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> it's just so strange. Yeah. I mean, the internet has made hurting someone's feelings so much easier. Right. So easy. <laughs> you barely I, have to try anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be like a negative thing. It could just be a not 100% positive and you're already like, oh. <laughs> 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 so i guess sort of following on from that and this is a a thing that we sort of touched on but uh things having a sense of place so you know if it's a material that is local to to you you know if it's that's that's like the type of tree or you know maybe the fibers in the paper or something like that mm. like what what's that that extra connection doing do you think like why is it so desired i think for me personally it relieves a lot of anxiety i think it takes a lot of that i mean you're all so much of everything or i mean things are constantly being kind of jammed down your throat of stuff you should want like the way that we have things going right now it's designed to make you want something you don't have and so when you start to make an, a real effort to appreciate where you are through you know, whether experiencing those materials or looking at lichens, um, you know, it gives you a new appreciation and sense of wonder for what you already have. And it makes it so that you're not just spending your whole life looking forward to the trip you're going to take later that year. It's like it allows mm-hmm. you to be happy now um, and makes going outside a lot more exciting or staying inside a lot more exciting, whichever one. <laughs> Depending on the weather. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the state of global pandemic. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we we grow up and it it's reinforced that we are separate and that separation is like part of being human and nobody we don't want that, I don't think. I don't we don't want to be separate from ourselves and we don't want to actually be separate from the earth. I'm not sure that's something people recognize always because we go looking for things and we're conveniently told by advertising that it is in the thing that you're looking for as a human being is in this product, you know, and that's something I've always Mm -hmm. struggled with, with selling something because I'm like, the thing that you're looking for to be more connected and to be more, you know, a part of yourself is not in this spoon. That's not actually what you're looking for. You're looking for to come back to yourself really and your own connection to, I'm going to get really woo woo, but I think people are really looking for a connection to source and whatever that means for you, you're not going to find it by buying another thing or moving to a new place or in another human you know, in your relationship, it's all, that is all internal stuff. And I think we learn a lot by interacting with the earth in one way or another. And you learn things that you wouldn't learn in that interaction any other way. I like that. (laughs) I mean, but once again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier with, uh, you know, connectedness versus separation Mm -hmm. and, And I think, and we've talked about this a bit on our show before, but I think a huge draw is also 
uh, which I don't know if I mentioned a few minutes ago, but a connection to process mm-hmm. and seeing where things come from. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and then also as craftspeople, like, I think we mentioned this on our very first ever episode of our show, but like that kind of like the process is what you as a craftsperson get to keep. And that's like your takeaway. So it's like this fleeting thing you can lose yourself in, in the moment, but then it always can come back at the next project. And and uh, yeah, it's just funny how those intangible things end up being like the things you get to keep. <laughs> well, and Brian, it's the same thing as like living your life too. It's like mm-hmm. you don't get to take your pile of gold with you <laughs> wherever you go. Like what you take is experience. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like your liking moment right there. The little speck oh, <laughs> and the loop. I'm liking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Just check out the way of enlightenment.com and you'll see what I mean. And I'm not even making that up. <laughs> oh, that's so good. We need another sticker. It's a sticker worthy. <laughs> I didn't make that up. I'm reading, I'm on essay number five out of 12 right now. <laughs> Is it really a thing? Yeah, that's a real what? website. Oh my gosh. With real beautiful photos of lichen and very thought provoking essays on lichen. Oh my gosh. Excellent. Links in the show notes. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. <laughs> um, um, I'm interested uh, by. Well, I'm interested in craft, how, how it's sort of. It's related to a, to a place. And, you know, like you might use a particular material because it's what's local. Uh, but then I'm also interested in this idea of sort of traveling to other places. And I know both of you have traveled with your, mm-hmm. your crafts uh, to see other people's doing it with their locals, mm. local stuff. And then you bring that back to add that somehow into the mix of your local. But does that not make it your local? <laughs> and I, <I'm>, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I really said anything there. But, uh, <laughs> Do you follow what I mean? There's, there's, it seems to be like I, and I'm not. I, I think traveling to to absorb these things is is great, and we should definitely be doing that. Mm-hmm. But then, on the other hand, we're saying like, you know, it's it, the craft is this thing of this place and time. Um, so, yeah, there's no question in that, is there? <laughs> well, no it sounds it sounds like you're identifying. <laughs> you're like you're identifying how text techniques get sort of cross pollinated from place to Mm. place. And I, Mm. I don't think that that is a bad thing at all. I think it's how people work, (laughs) you know, take the good stuff and leave, leave things that aren't, that don't apply. I, I think for, from my own experiences, I, um, I guess to give the listeners a little context, I was able to do like a, I did a workshop in Colombia, South America at a craft school in Bogota. And I think what I loved, I didn't, when I came back, in fact, I was pretty intentional about trying not to just merely, I guess like, you know, copy aesthetics or things like that, or Mm -hmm. patterns that I saw there. I'm, you know, I, I really like drawing from my own natural environment where I'm living or where Mm -hmm. I'm from. But what I loved was, I think it really opened the doors for me, like going down there and looking at one of the people who I became closest with is a woodworker. And 
seeing how different the current kind of aesthetics are in woodworking there, I mean, given just the different colors of the wood and what they had access to, and then also just the shapes and forms that sort of occurred to them to make are so different from what I see people in the States making. And um, to me, it just really opened the doors of just seeing how much, you know, freedom there is within each craft that it doesn't have to be this one dogma or like one right way of doing it. For me, it was just like a reaffirmation that like, yeah, like take from your own context. Like I came back from that experience more charged than ever to look at what I had access to and take advantage of that rather than bringing back there, those materials and techniques for myself to like, then like try to, you know, force into what I have here. Does that make sense? I yeah, that I mean that's that's a really succinct answer to a really jumbled question. <laughs> uh, so I, so I, Brian's really really good at that. Good, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, too um, kind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I, I think what I wanted to ask Amy was how has what you've seen influenced what what you then produce, sort of coming back. Amy's so much more thoughtful than I am. I just love that she like takes the moment to sit there and like get it together. I always just start talking and. Like I just did. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the thought will work its way out. <laughs> yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> um, I I think interacting with wood that is like drastically different than what I'm used to has made the biggest impact on the way that I see kind of dogmatic approaches to technique. Mm-hmm. And I spent some time in Australia. And that wood, the the wood that is like native to Australia is wildly different, wildly different than anything in like northern hemisphere temperate forests. It is usually very, very hard, very dense, very oily. And I don't see that as that there trees aren't bad. There are no bad trees. <laughs> I but. love all of them. Um, no, not not but actually. It was no, just I'm like, just wow, kidding. you know, this this technique that I have doesn't feel like the best use of the wood or my time, you know. Mm. A lot of uh, you know, a lot of the woodworkers, I mean, you can't you have to use machines in there's just no, you can't chop through some of the wood. It's just so dense. I mean, it would just ruin your tools. Mm-hmm. And so that got rid of a lot of any sort of dogma that I had still in my subconscious understanding of what it means to be a woodworker or like part of being more connected or something like that. It's, you have to understand that there are different materials all over the world and there are going to be different approaches um, to getting things done and making things. And that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it made me a lot more open to maybe like using, it sounds really kind of silly, but like using sandpaper or rasps and files and, Uh, things like that just because that's what is used a a lot of times down there, especially by um, there's a really 
skilled carver, uh, Hape Kittle. He's down in New South Wales, and he has a you know pretty vast background in just sort of understanding sculpture and sculpture sort of related crafts. And he just does whatever, like he uses whatever technique is the best for what he's trying to do Mm -hmm. basically. And that seeing that was freeing for me because it's like, you're not going to handcraft hell. If you use a bandsaw and like, or an angle grinder or, you know, whatever, whatever thing Mm -hmm. you have a knee jerk response to, it's just made up stuff in your head. So why, like, why are you doing, it just sparked a lot of like, well, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? What's okay? And what's not okay? And Mm -hmm. why do I see value in local materials? And why do I see value in using hand tools? And some of those things are the same for me, but the way that I see it is different. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think that uh, Brian earlier saying uh, sanding facets will have got quite a few of the UK uh, woodcarvers just. <laughs> oh, you can't do that. You mustn't. Their, their think, eyes start twitching. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, probably some other stuff uh, that I was saying about bookbinding will do the same for UK bookbinders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's nice, isn't it? I mean, it's it's liberating to to mm-hmm. these these sort of self imposed rules or mm-hmm. you know or like rules of a place mm-hmm. that that don't have to be true. We don't have to be confined. Mm-hmm. It's like understanding the amount of choice that you have and whether or not you want to participate or not. It's like when you realize that that you're like you realize your self imposed belief systems then. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't, I can choose. <laughs> I have a choice here. <laughs> and then so. all of a sudden the microscope expands over the lichen <laughs> and it's zooming way out. <laughs> all right. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, I really, really had a great day talking and laughing with uh, with Amy and Brian. So if you would like to hear me waffle on about natural building, then head on over to cutthecraftpodcast.com or search for Cut the Craft wherever you normally get your podcasts. And if you're not convinced that you want to hear me talk, then have a little listen to this. Here's a little poem I wrote for this occasion. It's called Waste. If everything I've ever wasted came back to me one day, I'd throw myself in the trash to hide from what it had to say. Eh, not my best, but worth a heap more here than on a piece of paper in some dump. May save me some trouble, too. I posit the world would be a better place, and so would the soil in your lawn. If dogs were allowed to defecate wherever they wanted without dog owners bagging it in plastic and throwing it in a can lined with another plastic bag, which then gets tossed into landfills most of us ignore to maintain a false cleanliness because people are unnerved by stepping in the stuff or their manicured lawn being tampered with. 
Why does the atmosphere have to suffer because we've got so far away from ourselves we're repelled by natural smells instead of accepting them and paying closer attention to where we're walking while we live an enriched life? And if you're on the other end of this saying, hey, it's an issue of disease, I get that. But shouldn't we be trying to take the disease out of the waste instead of concealing the issue with more waste? Imagine a house made of animated dog feces slowly sludging up your yard like the slime monster from Ghostbusters. An articulate dog poop mansion of neglect saying, We've come together here to remind you that we have certain purposes you've ignored. So now we're your neighbor. And we're sharing the mailbox because our owner is more familiar with it than you know. What do you think? You want that? Didn't think so. What's that? You want the opposite of that? Well, what's that? I don't know. It certainly isn't how we do or build things now, or we wouldn't need to work double time to at least try and reverse our toxic impact. Luckily, Jeffrey Hart has a heart for this mode of living, and he's paid us a virtual visit. Jeffrey runs his own podcast called Building Sustainability. A play on that phrase because there's the literal, as in he physically builds sustainable structures. And then there's building awareness around living sustainably. Tune in next episode for his insights on biophilic design and other ways to change the way we live by changing what we use and how we make the places we live in and more. I gotta go. My dog's barking. How good is that? Um, you can find Justin's work on Instagram uh, at Poetic Justins. Uh, there is a link in the show notes. As I said at the beginning, these are such a great feature in their podcast, and I'm genuinely honoured to have one featuring me and my work. Um, I wanted to reflect just a little bit on uh, the process of being a guest. Um, I definitely was incredibly nervous. Um, I've always found that the intros and the outros to these podcasts are definitely the hardest bit for me. Just starting to talk and not losing my way and not losing my nerve and saying things I want to say. Um, I always try to be as concise and as quick as possible. Um, so this was definitely pushing me a little bit to uh, to do what's not comfortable for me. And once we'd finished the recording, the sort of only thing I could remember was that I fluffed one question pretty spectacularly. And that was, so what do you do? Uh, and bless Brian, he stepped in and helped me out by really succinctly and uh, beautifully just summing up what it is I actually do. I think I got lost on a little tangent. Oh no, that's what it was. I was saying something and then I said it in a slightly weird way, corrected it and then just completely had a blank mind and just did the old, so uh, yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, thanks Brian. I was uh, I was talking to my friend Emma about this, about the, the process and about how I didn't really didn't really gel with it and she said well when you make your podcast you aren't doing it to speak you're doing it to listen and that made me feel much better I do definitely I mean this is I'm doing this because not because I want you to listen to my 
chatter. But because uh, I want you to hear the people that I'm talking to who know much better things. Uh, so it's kind of ironic that I'm just waffling on now, isn't it? Um, OK, well, maybe I'll finish there. Um, I did want to say one final thing, maybe if you've just come from the Cut the Craft podcast. Um, there was a bit in there where I talked about Heartwin, which is a company that I started uh, about five or six years ago. Um, I've actually stepped away from that company now. And I think when I was talking about it, I didn't really get the opportunity to, or I didn't know how to drop that in. Uh, because Heartwin was, I mean, it was my absolute dream it was doing all the things i wanted to do yeah i guess it's so wrapped up in who i think i am that without it i yeah i feel like quite a big hole in my life previously really it defined me um so i guess i don't know really how to describe myself anymore uh i've slipped a little bit into therapy now haven't i um maybe i'll just shut up uh but on that last point plans are afoot to create a new education building program in a similar vein to Hartwin, but uh but quite different uh where i am living now so keep your ears out for that i'll shout about it when it's when it's come to fruition this is probably the most i've spoken after saying that i'm not comfortable speaking i guess i wanted to just say those things having sat on the thoughts for a couple of months now after recording the episode so yes definitely go and listen and definitely check out the rest of the cut the craft podcast um i'd especially recommend uh, the daniel rose bird episode i'm such a big fan of her work it's so unique and joyous and um, the akira episode uh that was a real joy and it's no wonder that amy and brian you know, brought that up a few times uh, I'd never heard of him before, but just what a life he's led. What a what a character. Uh, and the other one you should definitely check out is Miriam Johnson, who I actually know from the Prince's Foundation uh, apprenticeship that I did uh, a few years back. Um, she is super talented, super humble, uh, really inspiring stone carver. So, um, yeah, definitely check that out. And all of the rest. There's so much to learn from craft. I feel that craft and sustainability are so well meshed and that if we approached building the way that we approach craft, I think we'd be making the buildings that need to be built at this time. Um, so yes, check them out. And that's about it. So thank you very much for listening. If this is your first time here, then please do subscribe. Uh, check out the other episodes there is a whole load uh, quite a lot of crafty ones and then quite a lot of building ones and some sustainability of the self ones there's a whole range for you to get into um yeah as i said at the beginning if you can share and get this podcast out and about it really does help with the listenership and that's about it i'm so pleased to have made it to 50 episodes and i look forward to 50 more I hope you're doing very well. I hope you have a great day. All the best. Bye-bye.